You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. That's just the tip of the iceberg of your weirdness. You know, let's yeah. let's take a look at the other ways that we're weird. Um, and they're like, oh, but I like that. I like that we have family dinner. Yeah, I do too. You know, and so don't assume that just because it is unlike what everyone else is doing, that it isn't intensely valuable. She looked right at me and she said, you know, the thing is, I believe I'll stand before God and give an account. Yeah. For how I raised these kids. So... I don't care what that parent thinks. I think that our gut response to having been made to feel less than is to turn and make the person who made us feel that way feel less than, and that is an anti-Christian impulse. This is Adam Griffin, and before I introduce you to our our favorite guest, let me just say that, our our first returning guest. First, (laughs) let me introduce you, though, to Mrs. Cassie Bryant. Cassie, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. It's a Wednesday. We're halfway through the week, almost the oh, weekend. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, it's a Monday. But yes, we're it's recording not, it on a Wednesday. It's actually not a Wednesday. Today's Thursday. <laughs> oh, I don't know what day th- oh, it is. Oh, my gosh, Cassie. <laughs> Maybe it's a Monday. Uh, I'm sorry. You know what? In pre-recorded podcast world, it can be any day you want it to be. That's right. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> and of course, my wife, my wife extraordinaire, Miss Chelsea Griffin. Chelsea, how you doing today? I'm good. Just happy to be here. Great. What day is it for you today? Um, I live in the real world, and so it's it's <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> it ends in Y. <laughs> well, what a privilege to have with us today our good friend, author, teacher, parent, and our favorite podcast guest, Miss Jen Wilkin. Jen, Woo-hoo! how you doing? Hi, guys. It's Friends Day at my house because I get to hang out with you. Wow. Oh, that's so sweet. Friends Day. So sweet. Friends Day. I that's wish really we were sweet. at your house. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> your house sounds incredible. You just said you're on the 10th story right now recording this right. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Feels yeah. that way. That's great. We're in the uh, the bunker of the Griffin's one-story home right now mm-hmm. recording. So uh, every, every story is the same for us. Jen, how was your summer? Anything exciting you did this summer? Let's see. Um, we had a kid move to Korea. So Whoa. we got, yeah, I know. We got some really good time with the grandbaby before Mary-Kate and Nathan moved. They'll be there for a couple of years. But we didn't take any, you know, we've kind of aged out of the stage of life where everybody takes a family trip together in the summer. So um, we did a few things, you know, Jeff and I did. And um, I recorded a Bible study for a week, which is always my favorite use of my PTO. Wink, wink. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> in Amarillo. Wasn't it in, in Amarillo? Amarillo? Yes, we went to Amarillo in July, friend, guys. Yeah. Yeah, he went with yeah. y'all. That's oh, right. Man. Yeah, we had, and I did actually, we did actually have a great time, uh, Lindsay and Lindy and I did so um, during fun. the recording. And it was a really sweet church and just, um, yeah, but I don't know that I have any any headlines for you on, on this summer. But we always, our family all get together every um, November, the weekend before Thanksgiving. We have a special, we always go to the same house in the Hill Country. So even though we don't get to do stuff together in the summer necessarily anymore, we all look forward to that. Oh, that's awesome. Man, yeah. I, I love your family. I'm such a huge fan of your kids. Uh, Matt, in particular, has such a, a sweet spot in my heart. I'm so glad to see him growing up, getting married, He's growing to be guy. a man. But that makes sense. Your summer your summer rhythms are so different yeah. from the, the younger years of vacations and trips. And But you know what's kind of cool? I do have like an evil master plan that we're all going to live on the same city block together. Um, and I'm not, I haven't gotten us all the way there yet. Obviously the Korea thing is a setback, but we know we'll, we'll work it out. But, um, 
you know, uh, Calvin graduated in May, so he's home. Makai is here at the house. And then um, Matt and Amber live in Flower Mound. Amber, you know, my daughter-in-law works right. at, at, at the village. And so, like, on Sundays, we're all, we all sit together in church, and it is oh, just the best. Praise God. It's that's so awesome. Great. Yeah. Oh, that, that is living part of the dream. You know, yeah. Minus, minus Korea. But uh, nothing yeah. against our Korean audience. We love y'all, too, but... <laughs> I was uh, say, MK just, messaged me on Instagram. I was asking her what part of Korea, and she yeah. was like, "You guys come visit. I know if I invite anyone, it'll be you, you would guys do it. You, you would do yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm gonna see how many Wilkins I can see in other countries. Yeah. Clear in Spain. <laughs> That's right. I don't even That's like right. going to the. Oh, yeah. I barely like going to the Korean barbecues in Dallas. I'm like, this one's too oh. far away. You know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's it's delicious. It's so good. All right, for for those rare those two people listening who don't know Jen Wilkin, uh, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and telling us a little about your family, your ministry, what you're up to? Yeah, I am an author and Bible teacher. I my my first love is teaching uh, about Bible literacy, giving Bible literacy tools um, to people, but also specifically to women. I have loved teaching in all female environments for most of my years of ministry. That's been my my focus, um, and I am currently overseeing our next gen of family ministries at my home church. And um, we'll see how long I can stick it out doing that. And Jeff always says you have like four jobs, and I'm like, well, back <laughs> off, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Um, and then I have been married to Jeff for 29 years. We'll be married 30 years next summer. Wow. And we have um, five children. We have Matt, Mary, Kate, Claire, uh, Micaiah, and Calvin. Um, and yeah, everybody's grown. But some of them are still Crazy. kicking around the house a little bit. And we're, I actually don't hate it. You know, as long as you are on your way toward what's next, you are welcome to come have a stay at the Hotel Wilkin. And that's <laughs> kind of where we are. It has been really, really fun to have adult kids in and out. Oh, I love that. Your, your family truly is wonderful. Well, Jen, one of the things we're going to explore a lot this season, and I thought you would be one of the best people we could, we could possibly get to help us kick off this subject, is we're going to talk a lot about countercultural parenting, just about how parenting Christian kids or our hope for kids that follow mm -hmm. Jesus it means being prepared to lead a family that's going to look a little bit different. And sometimes that right. means your kids are going to feel, uh, they're going to feel that strangeness or that oddity that maybe comes with not doing everything the other kids do. And you may not have thought of this as a significant anniversary, but I thought this is significant. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, it was 10 years ago last March, you put it on yours, but 10 years ago last August that it hit the uh, the Village Church's uh, blog, you wrote mm -hmm. a post a post called Otherness. And it, it's written like a letter to one of your children about about that feeling of that feeling different because of some of the choices your family was making. And while this is an idea we want to explore kind of in specificity throughout the season, I thought this would be a good one just to talk about generally with you. And I've heard you speak on this uh, in some instances for you, but I thought it'd be great if you wouldn't mind, would you mind reading the post for those who uh, have never read it or for those for whom it's maybe been a while? Could you read to us a little bit of that letter that you wrote to your kids about otherness? And then I'd love to talk about it with you. Yeah, I would be happy to. Dear child of my heart, Today, you came to me sad, and I wanted to comfort you. Your friends spoke of owning things you do not own, watching movies you do not watch, going to places you do not go, and wearing things you do not wear. Even in the telling, they spoke in ways that you do not speak. You were feeling very sharply your otherness today. But what comfort can I give you? How can I pull the sharp thorn of comparison from your tender flesh? 
Mothers don't like to see their children hurt. My own heart wants to find the shortest path to the removal of your pain, a pain that spills over onto me because I remember being 13 and because I know you are being singled out for boundaries you did not set. Should I comfort you by giving you the things that separate you from the well-provided, worldly-wise woman girls at the lunch table? Not everything you do not have right now is a no. Some things are just a not yet. So I might revisit what you're ready for, not because I want your friends to like you, but because I want to give right things at right times. Your friends would have you believe that being different is an unbearable state, but I would have you believe otherwise. Sweet child, study the way you're feeling today. Because I love you, I ask this of you. Lean into your otherness. Learn the contours of its face. Feel out the steady grip of its hand. Because I intend it to be your lifelong companion. It is a truer friend than those who surround you now. More than I want your comfort, I want you to be an alien and a stranger. You are beginning to understand what that means, that not fitting, that dissonant chord that unease in the midst of ease that has been the faithful travel companion of the children of God for millennia. And I rejoice in the faithfulness of the God who is showing you this truth. Here is what you must come to see. What the lunch table calls your enemy, I call your friend. Otherness is a sensation not to be dulled or diminished, but to be cultivated and cherished. So though it goes against every mothering instinct, I will not pull the thorn from your flesh, not because I want to withhold comfort, but because there is no true comfort in a lie. This world is not our home. We are sojourners, travelers on our way to the only true comfort the human heart can ever know. I will not help you populate your life with things that lessen your grip on this reality. Because I love you, yes, but because I love your heavenly Father above all else, and I will give an account to him for whether I have raised citizens of earth or citizens of heaven. I pray for you. Do you know how much? I pray for you to be able to say with David that the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. It is not a mindset that we reach with ease, but it is the mindset of someone who has learned the safety and joy of otherness. I am willing to give you the years you will need to learn this truth. I am trusting the Father to show you the comfort of being called His own. There is no real comfort besides this. I could not love you more. Love, Mom. Awesome. Jen, it's so good. And I just kind of, I wonder after a decade of having written that, how do those words make you feel? Like what does that evoke in you today? Well, I already started crying trying to read it. Uh, I mean, it, it, it genuinely, you know, I, I didn't at the time sit down and read this to the child. It was, I can say now she would not mind. This was Claire. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't write the letter to her in the moment. I wrote it after the conversation that we had when she came home from school. Um, of course, she's read it since then. Um, and it became, it became for me just a moment of clarity around uh, why we were doing the things that we were doing and watching other parents who, you know, you got to think about when my kids were coming up through middle school and high school, 
um, technology, smartphones, brand new. And so a lot of the protective ways there are to use those now didn't exist yet. And my kids were on the learning curve of all the tech that was being introduced, not just um, through peer groups, but also even through the school system at that time, not with a lot of sense of, you know, how it might impact um, a child's development or, or, or socialization. So there, it felt like there were just a lot of things to say no to, you know, uh, and, um, and we've always wanted to give um, appropriate freedoms at appropriate times. So we did say to the kids, um, we will only say no when we absolutely have to. You can know that we're going to say yes as much as we can. That's good. And this was just one of those instances where, um, man, it, it brought up such a visceral memory of my own time in middle school. I think my kids were better at blending in in middle school than I felt like I was when I was there. But I think we all can recognize that feeling of just, this is such a hard time of life and I feel so weird and rejected and um, like I stick out like a sore thumb. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I mean, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. Wow. Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for reading that. Thanks for writing that. Thanks for taking the time to write that. Um, as you read it just now, I just wept thinking of my own kids and, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, as you're sharing, um, about your own middle school time, what kind of otherness do you think was hardest for you? And what are the specific things that come to mind? Oh gosh. Um, I grew up in a relatively small town where there were the haves and the have nots. And, um, I, man, I was a have not Cassie's smiling. Cause she knows the hometown I grew up in. I too was a have not. <laughs> yeah. Town. Yeah. And, um, the haves really, I'm not going to say it was on purpose, but it was definitely on purpose. They wanted us to, I felt like they, they went out of their way to make us feel the difference, you know, between what they had and what we didn't. And I just remember, um, and, and then also I was like super tall for my age. And so I had all of the physical awkwardness of, of just being this gangly, you know, towering over all of the boys, middle school girl. And I just wanted a polo shirt with an actual Ralph Lauren polo man on it. <laughs> um, and, um, I have two distinct memories of middle school where my stepmother, um, she was so kind, like we couldn't, she couldn't give me the real one, you know, like that wasn't going to be in the budget. Um, but she got me the, the shirt from JCPenney that kind of looked like a polo shirt if you didn't get too close. And, uh, and then another thing that she did that was so sweet was, uh, one Christmas in junior high, I opened up a, a package and pulled out a dress and, um, it had a Neiman Marcus label in it. Um, and what she had done was sewn me a dress and then gotten a Neiman Marcus label out of a dress from a thrift shop and sewn it into the dress so that I would feel special in the dress she had made wow. for me. So I, I always thought about that, like how, you know, just because a child feels the distance between what they wish they had and what they had, it doesn't mean that there aren't precious ways we can acknowledge, hey, I understand that you feel this way you know, but maybe this is not a bad thing to, to embrace. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about that letter you wrote is that, 
uh, to the kind of encouraging your kid, not, hey, it's going to be okay no, no matter if you, because um, one day you'll conform, but rather mm-hmm. I want you to press into an experience. You, you talk about feeling the contours of the face of that, that otherness, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to embrace that, that that's something you're actually trying to foster and cultivate for your kid, which obviously if, if the difference in our kids that we're raising and discipling is Christ and the difference is uh, righteousness or holiness or, mm-hmm. or some kind of different morality from the culture around them. We want them to embrace that. But why do you think for parents, as, as you think about what the Bible teaches and how it describes humanity, why is it so tempting for adults, not just kids, to conform to what the families around us are doing? Why, why isn't boldness easier for the Christian? Well, I, honestly, so much of the the peer pressure that our kids feel, we experience as parent peer pressure. If if yeah. I don't give my child this thing, then I look like uh, I stand out in a way that I don't want to. Um, I'm rewarded um, socially if my child has all of the right markers of a happy childhood. Uh, and that's not just, you know, the thing that's interesting is in, in middle school is when a child begins to recognize outward signs of whether they um, are, are living a similar life to their peers. Um, but but then as they get older, they begin to realize there are a lot of other ways that their family has actually been different and um, that they weren't necessarily aware of. They start to hear from their peers about what their home lives are like, you know? And so like what, what Claire didn't realize at the point that she's wanting the same shirt that someone else has is that really very little about her home life looked anything like the lives of the kids that she was sitting next to at the lunch table. They weren't having family dinners, you know, as many nights a week as we could humanly make possible. Um, they weren't prioritizing time with one another. They were prioritizing time spent in a million different activities and places that pulled their families apart instead of pressing their families together. So it wasn't just the clothes that she was wearing. It was the way she was going to use words and the way she was going to spend her time and the things that we were going to value over other things. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the, the clothing thing is usually where they first start to feel it. But then the more you point out to them, oh, actually, that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg of your weirdness. You know, let's yeah. let's take a look at the other ways that we're weird. Um, and, and they're like, oh, but I like that. I like that we have family dinner. Yeah, I do too. You know, and so don't assume that just because it is unlike what everyone else is doing that it isn't intensely valuable. Um, so it's it's helping them to understand a, a different value system. Um, and without vilifying, this is really important. Without vilifying or denigrating their peers. Good. That's excellent. That's really good. I know we have felt um, that pressure as parents and it's really helped because we have some other friends who we've kind of committed to making some of the same choices when it comes to technology or sleepovers or what we allowed our kids to watch and read that kind of thing. And we've even at our church, we've started like a youth group, a parent support group for teen parents because we've even found that that's been an issue of feeling Mm -hmm. like these parents feel like they're all alone mm-hmm. in whatever's going on in their home. And and so we'll have one parent come to us and then, you know, and I'm like, actually, there's there's quite a few of you. And I think that y'all would benefit from knowing you're not alone. You're not yeah. alone. So I'm wondering, do you, did you have kind of that camaraderie with other parents? Did you have like partners in this or a team that you kind of did this alongside others? Yeah, absolutely. We did. And, and I can't say enough about how important it is because you know that the line that the kid is going to deliver is mom, everybody has fill in the blank, right? It's going to be the everyone. And so honestly, in addition to being able to say, is that true? You know, and have, and you already know that it's not like, don't tell them the other people go, is that true? You don't know anybody else who doesn't, you know, have a cell phone yet or whatever it is. And then make them, you know, they need to be the one who responds with, well, 
no, you know. Uh, yeah. But the other work that we did with the kids a lot was around using um, superlatives like that. Like, yeah. we, you know, saying every, all, all, you know, never. Um, only say that if it's true. Otherwise, yeah. you're trying to heighten the strength of a weak argument. And so okay. once they recognize that game and that the jig is up on that, um, then they're going to come to you more prepared to have a reasonable conversation um, without trying to add weight to a flimsy argument by yeah. by heightened language. And it, But we have to be careful as adults that we don't train them into that by using every all always language around things that are not that you never clean up your room. Right. They learn that somewhere. Um, so, but (laughs) yes, we definitely, yeah, somewhere we, we definitely had ally families who we knew were, were trying to navigate a similar, trying to walk a similar tightrope. Hey friends, it's March. And that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. What encouragement um, would you say today to like embolden the family who's struggling to make these decisions that they know are going to potentially make their child's life harder socially? Yeah, I would say be very aware of the pull of parent peer pressure on you. Um, I, I still remember clear as a bell when this became um, salient to me. And I, I wrote, I, I saw as I was rereading through that piece that I had written it in there uh, in reference, because um, when Matt, our oldest, was he was about five and he had been invited to a birthday party at the house of a family that I didn't know very well. And um, I knew that they were planning to show a movie that I didn't think he was ready to see. And it wasn't even actually because it was a bad movie. It was because he was like very sensitive, you know, to to just movies 
in general. And I knew it was probably too big of a movie for him developmentally. And I was feeling like, oh, no, what am I going to do? You know, these parents, I, I know them well enough to be embarrassed to have to you know, talk to them about this. And I was talking to another mom. Her name's Eileen Mulcahy. I've kept up with her through the years. She had four kids in four years, four years ahead of me. And so um, I was always like, you know, tell me all your magical secrets. And we were sitting in gymnastics class and poor old Matt's out there trying to learn how to do a cartwheel. And I'm picking this woman's name for, picking this woman's brain for, you know, tips, parenting tips. And I told her how I was feeling. I'm like, I just don't know what to do. I mean, should I send him to the party? I talked to them. I don't know. You know, maybe I should just send him and not sweat it. And she waited. She let there be a little pause in the conversation. And then she looked right at me and she said, you know, the thing is, I believe I'll stand before God and give an account. Yeah. For how I raised these kids. So I don't care what that parent thinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> and I have never forgotten it. And it, it made a mark on me. And it doesn't mean she's not, a, you know, you don't have to be a jerk. Yeah. Um, but, but you, you will have to be firm. You will have yeah. to have a convictional position on some things that other people will not have given 10 seconds of thought mm. to. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to advocate for your child's, um, well-being, uh, in ways that are respectful of differing opinions. You know, you don't have to go shut down someone else to be able to maintain a good boundary for your own child. So, mm. that's yeah, good. that's so good in today's day of massive polarization, uh, that we want to yeah. be people who are winsome and gentle and kind and that our conversations will be seasoned with salt, that it doesn't drive people away from us, but, you know, make someone a little curious to say, what what is the reason you have for the hope mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that we might have an opportunity and a door open rather than a door closed? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In In the letter, you mentioned saying that you wish you want your kid to be able to agree with David, saying that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. We don't think that's a verse that a lot of people think of as is like a parenting Bible verse. But what do you think God's communicating there that you're tapping into? Well, you know, um, the the language that David employs there is is the language of of um, land allotments in in Canaan. Uh, that's what he's referencing back to. And those boundaries are determined by the Lord. They're not determined by Joshua. And so um, I think he's using it as a metaphor for all of life. It's that the Lord um, is the one who determines what is good for us and what is not good for us. And it's not just so that we can only do things that are good for us. It's because the things that are good for us um, allow us to be fully human in the way that we were intended to be all along. When we live uh, according According to God's good law, which are the boundary lines for us, we are not just being obedient. We are being human in the way that Adam and Eve were created to be before sin entered the world. And we're being human in the way, get this, that we will be for all of eternity. Yeah. That's good. That's amazing. Yeah. And so um, anytime that we submit ourselves to God's good boundaries, we are learning what we were supposed to be all along. And and um, that is not something that I think I could have necessarily communicated clearly to a 13-year-old who really just wanted the cool pair of tennis shoes. But you can start to seed those conversations. You know, if your response is, oh, yeah, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, that's actually the normative experience of being a Christ follower. That's going to grow. That's not going to diminish. Yeah. That feeling of, hey, you want something and you can't have it yet. Guess what defines the Christian life? Delayed gratification. 
That's what Christians are about. We're about waiting for a future good. So, you know, when you start recognizing, helping them to recognize um, what's true about the Christian life, um, and I would just say, you're not waiting to determine whether they're a believer to begin to expose them to these ideas. Um, you're going to expose them to these ideas whether they ever come to faith or not. That's, That's right. your job as a parent, is to raise them in a Christian home, whether they become Christians or not. Uh, and so um, you start building out those frameworks for them, obviously before they hit middle school, but middle school starts to provide, or even you know preteen, begins to provide really rich opportunities for conversations around why do we feel dissonance? Is it a friend or an enemy? Wow. That's good. So much of, so much of what you're describing, I feel like we see in fully realized in Jesus, right? Like so much that we want to pursue, we see fully mm-hmm. realized in Jesus. But you see Jesus, like you said, not vilifying uh, the, the the non-conformist necessarily, mm-hmm. not vilifying the sinner, but rather mm-hmm. being gracious to the sinner. We see him being gracious to the woman at the well, being gracious to Zacchaeus. We see him doing all kinds of these kind of gracious things towards those who maybe are conforming to the world. But we also see him very boldly standing out from the crowd. Like he's forsaking conformity. We see him rejected for his otherness. Mm -hmm. Now you're a a Bible teacher. And when you think about how churches can teach likewise and how we should address this pressure to conform, how can, how do you think churches should be or can be teaching families to follow Christ when it comes to those aspects of his life, not just in moral choices, but in the willingness to stand up, to be different, to be bold? Well, I think that our first thought can be, oh, we need to educate people around when to give kids a cell phone. Um, and I, I actually am a big fan of churches giving those kinds of um, learning opportunities to parents. You know, educate yourself around tech or educate yourself um, around other social pressures that are out there. But I think we have to start at the root of the issue um, because you can give parents lots of um, information, but if they don't have a conversational relationship with their children in the home, they don't have a means for transmitting it. And so you end up with parents who simply lecture a child instead of drawing a child into dialogue. You end up with children who have no, no vested interest in listening to a parent because the parent didn't show a lot of interest in having a conversation until they hit a crisis point. And so I think what's really important for us um, in, in when we think about how to set parents up to win is to start with parents of very young children and um, and urge them to look way down the road and say, if you want the teen years or the young adult years to look like this, what are you doing today um, to move you toward that? Um, because yeah. it's the accumulation of these 24-hour periods that's pushing us toward that outcome. And so if we're only making decisions in the moment or in the short term or according to the current crisis, instead of having a well-thought-out set of values and means to get there, um, then we're going to find ourselves in middle school um, drawn up short. Because one of the reasons that the message of this blog post from 10 years ago is so precious to me is because it was a real conversation. Yeah. Um, that Claire was willing to have. And even though she didn't enjoy what I had to say in the moment, she was able to recognize that I loved her deeply and there were going to be more conversations after that, right? Mm. Yeah. For sure. I love hearing about this from your parenting perspective. Um, but when you were a kid um, or a teenager, did you ever feel like you experienced this feeling that you were trying to cultivate in your children of being other? And how do you remember navigating that? 
I don't think I navigated it very well because, and this is why I say when we teach our children, hey, you are going to feel different, that we also diffuse any sense of um, superiority as a result of charting a different course. Because I think that our gut response to having been made to feel less than is to turn and make the person who made us feel that way feel less than. That's right. And that yeah. is an anti-Christian impulse. You know, we're called to outdo one another in showing honor. So that means that just because I became aware of a, of a distance between what I have and what someone else has, and I now need to reconcile my, my, my faith to that, um, it doesn't mean that my reaction, um, toward the way they made me feel can be to return that to them in a different form. It's like, oh, oh, right. I don't have what you have. Well, you know what? You're terrible for having it. Right. That doesn't serve anyone. <laughs> right. Amen. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um a, a lot of sense of that otherness that I I want to address obviously for parents to address in kids, but I love what you're saying Jen that also uh, what you said earlier, that there's an otherness that parents experience that can mm-hmm. be addressed as well by by churches, by us. And, and I think the same thing that you're talking about now in trying to deflate that arrogance, that kind of badge of honor indifference is also something parents need to recognize as well, that we don't need to, uh, in the face of feeling different than the other parents' choices, say, well, um, well, I wear a badge of honor that brings pride, that brings um, kind of showmanship to my parenting because of the choices we make. And I think some of the reason that it's embarrassing to some parents to explain why their why their decisions are different is because it does feel like so much of parenting is this comparative, the success driven. How how are the results in my kids? And I'm grateful for everything you're saying, but I think that's something that's really sticking out to me, especially is while we think about the otherness in kids, we also need to think about how your letter might apply to the parent who needs to really become comfortable with the otherness they will experience as they're parenting alongside other families. It's, it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, two, two of the principles that I often will talk to parents about with regard to this particular issue are these two ideas. The first one is parenting is not a competitive sport. So you're not looking to make choices for your kids based on making them more awesome than everybody else or making you more awesome by virtue of what they're doing. And also the second one is equally important with regard to the way they think about their relationship with their kids. Parenting is not a popularity contest. So you're not making decisions based on what makes you more popular with your child. It doesn't mean that you never take into account that your child might feel great joy as a result of you doing something that they want, Um, but it means that your driving motivation is not to win the approval of your child or to win the approval of other parents. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, Jen, uh, if you wouldn't mind getting a little personal with us, what are the things that you're still praying for your family right now, the things that uh, maybe personally or for your kids or grandkids. If if listeners want to be able to pray for you and your family, what can they ask God for on your behalf? Oh, you know, I'm praying that they will continue to see that the faith that has been handed down to them through the generations is reliable, that it it has shock absorbers, that it can hold them. Uh, I'm praying that they'll see that continued to be lived out in 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 my life and in in, in Jeff's life and in our life together. Um, I am praying that as they become parents, uh, that all the things we're talking about today, that they will remember and that they will learn not just from the things that they, they felt that we did right, but from also from the things where they felt we did them wrong. You know, that they will be able to, um, to be, um, gosh, better parents, you know, than, than the, than the ones in whose home they grew up in. Um, and, and that, 
And also, I think I'm, I'm, I'm praying, um, that as, you know, in any new home where uh, a man and a woman get married and start having children, it's all uh, its own set of personalities, right? It's not the same set of personalities that were in the home of, of their origin. So I'm praying that they will have wisdom to understand what was what was a principle that needs to be applied in a specific family in a way that perhaps it looked different in their family of origin. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us by giving a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. Do you want to keep up with us? Join the conversation. You can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you listeners, and we're looking forward to all God has for us this fall, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Jen, so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, guys.